Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported. That means we truly depend on you in order to bring this resource to you. If you don't already support us financially, you could do so. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. You'll see our three friendly yellow buttons there. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. Click on one of them and fill that out. If you'd like to support us the traditional way, you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Wednesday, March 4th, 2020. Now, we're going to build off of yesterday's episode. Do a little historical research. Where does this idea of sinless perfectionism come in? Of the canceling of our sinful flesh, and uh, the, the, which makes it impossible for you to recognize as a Christian you still have a sinful nature. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast what the most popular Pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolates, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine that is put forward for consumption by the average evangelical, far from biblical, far from what God's Word says. There's a whole lot of deception going on out there, and uh, we're going to clear it all up, but there's no easy fix to it. It requires you to open up your Bible and do comparative work. And one of the things I've been saying over the course of doing this program since uh, June 30th of 2008 is never listen to me with an open mind, always listen with an open Bible. So today what we're going to do is we're going to go back to this past Sunday and a lesson that I taught at Kongsvinger Lutheran Church in Oslo, Minnesota, don't you know? Uh, I tell, being here for as many years as I've been here, it's starting to wear off on me. Anyway, um, <laughs> I, I, um, I, I built off of the, um, the uh, segment that we did uh, regarding can Christians be possessed by demons? And, uh, and you know, basically did some historical reductionism. You know, well, is that the right? Uh, I did a historical genealogy, and historical ancestry. It's not reductionism. I'm not, I'm not reducing. But uh, followed the, uh, the, where does this idea that somehow Christians don't have a sinful nature anymore, or that if you, uh, 
have the so-called second baptism of the Holy Spirit, which, by the way, is not taught in Scripture. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one, one God and Father of us all. Uh, that uh, the second baptism of the Holy Spirit somehow will cancel out uh, original sin and you won't have a sinful nature anymore. Uh, where does that all come from? The answer is, is that it actually has roots, and you'll see in this lesson, I'm going to trace it back from the Pentecostal movement to the holiness teachers of the early 20th century, late 19th century, in, uh, you know, that uh, founded like the Nazarene Church, which I was a part of, uh, Phineas Brzee and others, tracing it back through Wesley and his book, A Plain Account of Christian Perfectionism, uh, to the Moravians, uh, and then back to the Lutheran Pietists. <laughs> yeah, I hate to say it, you know, and you'll hear me say this, is, is that uh, the Pentecostal movement, I think, uh, when you go back in its roots, is a, uh, it's a split off of a heresy created you know, in, uh, in the Lutheran Church, not the Lutherans are heretics. It's that there, there was a heretical splinter group, uh, and it became a very large group uh, in the in the Lutheran Pietists, the Pietism heresy. And uh, yeah, I'll put it in heresy because uh, they they were embracing full on Pelagian concepts, and uh, and so that's where it all comes from. You know, there's there's a track that you can follow along these lines, and uh, and so. Uh, Grab a Bible, something to uh, to write with. Uh, we're going to get started uh, on this lesson, and uh, as we do a historical look at where the doctrine of perfectionism came from. Here we go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Almighty and everlasting God, we come before you in humble awe. You are the one true God, and there is none like you. Come, we pray, and bless our hearts and our minds as we study your word. Send your Holy Spirit into our lives so that we may grow in love and grace and that we may go forth into all the world proclaiming your gospel so that others may learn of your saving grace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to deviate from the normal uh, walk through the book of Numbers. That Not been... my fault. I'm just putting that out there for the record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I blame Bruce. And... Uh, <laughs> And what we're going to do today is I want to build off of our texts. I want to build off of this idea of the doctrine of original sin. And I want to talk about what I would consider to be one of the most deadly doctrines out there today. And it is related to the Pelagian heresy. And one that I think everybody in this, uh, in this church has run into in one form or another. And what we're going to be talking about is the denial that Christians still have a sinful flesh to contend with. Have you guys heard anything like this? Yeah. Or, this is particularly predominant in the charismatic and the Pentecostal churches. And um, there, there's a place where this comes from, and that is, is that uh, I, I'll, I'll give you a historical example so that we can understand this, is that um, the Pentecostal movement here in the United States it began with, in Los Angeles, California, at a place called Azusa Street. And a fellow by the name of Frank Bartleman, who was a holiness preacher at the time, was intimately involved with, um, with the Pentecostal movement and the Azusa Street revival. And it's important to note that he, at the time, was a contemporary of the founder of the Nazarene Church, and that's Phineas Brzee. Now, 
Uh, Phineas Brzee is the guy who was the holiness preacher in Los Angeles who planted churches uh, of the Nazarene, one of them in Pasadena. And when I was growing up, Pasadena Nazarene, for real, was the... uh, you know, was the hot item, the, the church to go to. And when I was uh, at past, when I was living in Arcadia and going to uh, Marinette High School, I attended Pasadena Nazarene, and my pastor was a fellow by the name of Dr. Earl Lee. And Earl Lee was an old school holiness preacher, and he taught down the line, you know, really what the the Nazarene Church has historically taught. And this is a theological descendant uh, theology from Phineas Brzee, who was a holiness preacher. Now, if you don't know what holiness is, the best way I can describe it is it's based on John Wesley's doctrine of sinless perfectionism. Are you guys familiar with this this theology? We're going to do a little bit of historical work today. Now, I'm I'm going to... So what I'm going to do is I'm going to... We're going to describe it. I'm going to give you its pedigree first because Dr. Rosenblatt, my mentor, always used to tell me that thoughts and ideas always have moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and things like this. And so Bartleman was like Phineas Brzee. He he was a holiness preacher before he went Pentecostal. And many of the holiness churches in Southern California after the Azusa Street Revival went Pentecostal. But their theology is very, very closely related. And um, and so Bartleman, when you read his eyewitness account of the Azusa Street Revival, he has some very interesting things that he hangs on to, and, you, and the question is, where did he get these ideas from? So have any of you heard the idea that if you pray structured prayers, that God the Holy Spirit will have nothing to do with that? You're putting the Holy Spirit in a box. Have you oh, ever heard this yeah. kind? Okay, yeah. Back in Ohio, where there's more Baptists than mosquitoes... Uh-huh. Um, that was their main attack on Lutheranism was the worship structure. All right. And that we couldn't possibly mean it because somebody wrote it for us. Okay. Bartleman, his, the- his holiness theology, which then morphs into the Pentecostal movement, he believed that any kind of structure, including having pastors, having a liturgy, that God the Holy Spirit would pass over that church just like... Uh, the, the destroyer passed over the, the children of Israel. This is the way he describes it. But the other thing he talks about is, is this belief that, that the church apostatized very early in its history, probably two or three centuries out, and that, um, that all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit got lost, and that they were anticipating the restoration of those gifts, and that Martin Luther's Reformation did not go far enough. It just restored the gospel, but didn't restore the gifts of the Spirit. And so Bartleman, you know, he's, he's in this vein, but I want to show you some doctrines from the Nazarene Church so that you can kind of see what's going on. And the Nazarene Church is, in their doctrines, they believe in something called provenient grace. Have you guys heard of this concept before? All right. So provenient grace goes something like this. And the Nazarenes recognize that the doctrine of original sin makes it impossible for a human being to make a decision for Jesus. But they believe that somebody has to make a decision for Jesus in order to be saved. So how do you get past the impossibility of somebody who's dead in trespasses and sins, who's incapable of making a decision for God, to jump that chasm to them being able to make a decision for God? How do you, how do you jump that chasm? 
The answer is a doctrine that was created by Arminius, who was a heretic of, uh, from the Calvinist camp. And Arminius came up with a, a doctrine called the doctrine of prevenient grace. And it goes, some, this is my modern day ex- explanation of it. Prevenient grace is when God the Holy Spirit presses the pause button on your sinful nature and its, and its abilities so that you, just long enough so that you can make a decision for Jesus. It's an interesting one, right? But here's the thing. Off the top of your head, can you think of any biblical passages that teach that God the Holy Spirit is going to hit the pause button so that you can make a decision for Jesus? No. And so, what, so you're going to note then, the concept of provenient grace, which was developed by, uh, by Arminius, that this, this theology opens the door up to the back-end doctrine, which is the one that is the most pernicious. But this doctrine of perfection, we'll talk about this in a minute, um, you can do a direct link from the Pentecostals to the holiness preachers to the Methodists to John Wesley to the Moravians. Have you ever heard of Count Zinzendorf from Lutheran pietism? From the Moravians to Franca and Spainer in Germany who, who created Lutheran pietism. I hate to say this, but the modern-day Pentecostal movement is a heresy of Lutheranism at its core, at its root. And the big fight is over whether or not you can attain sinless perfection in this lifetime. It's a very fascinating thing. So within Lutheran pietism, there is a, an assault against structure. There is an assault against the pastoral office. There is a demeaning of the means of grace. And the thing that cannot stand is an absolution. That's like absolutely just runs the, you know, it's like taking your cat and petting it the wrong way, you know, gets them very agitated. Yeah. So if there's a way of becoming perfect, who's done it so far? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's like... That's the kind of, the nasty little thing here is, is that when you embrace this theology, you, there's this really bad habit of you thinking you've gotten there. And then what happens is this, is that when it comes to having the Lord's Supper, not only is it infrequent, but those who have considered themselves have, to have attained true Christian piety, they will not and refuse to have the Lord's Supper with those who are unworthy to have it. Oh, yes, yes, yes. By the way, this is where we get the concept of holier than thou. This, that's, that's a phrase that we've all heard, but the reality is that's a concept that develops up in, um, within Lutheran pietism. But this has antecedents, that there's branches that break off of all of this, and that concept. So Franca and Spainer, you know, if you have ever heard of Pia Desideria, uh, you know, uh, Philip Jacob Spainer, he's the, the guy who develops the first iteration of pietism. And then his interpreter, Franca, and, and the guys at Halle, they take it and just and explode it into this other theology. And the way they, they, they taught this theology, the way it got spread, is through what they called conventicles, which were illegal home Bible studies. <laughs> I, 
<laughs> My apologies. I'm just doing a historical thing here. <laughs> Yep. Right. That's a perfect storm. So and so the Moravians are like the Moravians are the hub, not only for Norwegian Haugian Pietism, but also for Wesleyanism. And I'm going to show you some things. We're, we're doing a little historical work here. All of that being said, the Church of the Nazarene, which I grew up in, comes out of the Holiness Movement and is a direct descendant of the Moravians through Wesley down to the Methodists and then ultimately this Holiness revival that occurs in the 19th century. And I want you to hear what they believe regarding provenient grace because this is very fascinating because they don't quite come right out and say it. They're very kind of fuzzy in how they teach it, but they do believe in it. So we believe that the grace of God through Jesus Christ is freely bestowed upon all people, enabling all who will turn from sin to righteousness. So you have to turn from sin. That's necessary. Uh, To believe on Jesus Christ for pardon and for cleansing from sin and follow good works that are pleasing and acceptable in His sight. We also believe that the human race is is creation God-likeness included the ability to choose between right and wrong and that thus human beings were made morally responsible, that through the fall of Adam they became depraved so that they cannot now turn and prepare themselves by their own natural strength and works uh, and works to faith and calling upon God. So they recognize we can't do that because of the fall, but we also believe that the grace of God through Jesus Christ is freely bestowed upon all people, enabling all who will turn from sin to righteousness to believe on Jesus." So so this prevenient grace is this enabling grace that hits the pause button on original sin so that you can make a decision for God. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Now, coming to the the other shoe that drops, and this is the doctrine that they today call Christian holiness and entire sanctification. The way Dr. Earl Lee explained it to me was this way when I took membership classes there at Pasadena Nazarene is that God the Holy Spirit will give a second baptism. And it is an, an entire sanctification. It is called second blessing holiness, whereby when God gives this to you as a Christian, and you have to desire it, you have to seek for it, you have to prepare for it, when you receive it, then you as a believer, the effects of original sin no longer apply to you and you will perfectly love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and perfectly love your neighbor as yourself. And the central text for this, and this is how early would preach it, is from, from the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And then early would say, and Christ would never give us a command if it were not possible. Well, that's the, that's the Old Testament. We, we now live in the era of the of the, of the Holy Spirit. The, since Pentecost, you have the Holy Spirit who's willing to give you the special gift. So, I have a question for you: Does the Bible teach that Christians have a sinful nature still, or do not? That really is is where, kind of where ground zero is, because you're going to note. I heard you all this morning, and I I participated. This morning I heard you say, I confess that I am by nature sinful and unclean. A a pietist of all stripes would just go, 
No way. Romans 7? I know. We'll get to the text. Okay. Stop thinking so biblically. Come on. <laughs> Reach out with the spirit, man. <laughs> I, I, I'm under a spirit of legalism. All right. Now, if, if you've all heard of Bethel Church in Redding, California, this is like a major charismatic NAR church. One of their leaders, Kevin Dedman, has a book, and the name of the book is Gnosticized. And what his claim is, and in his book, he puts Luther and Calvin and Augustine, he puts them on trial. So this is a, this is a book that you know, is a court case. He puts them on trial in order to, uh, to bring them up on charges of teaching Gnosticism. And how does he define Gnosticism? Gnosticism if you, is that doctrine which teaches that you are a sinner saved by grace rather than a saint saved by grace. Doesn't speak much Greek, does he? How many saints need salvation? (laughs) (laughs) You know, Marilyn, it's like, you you just, you you have a hypercritical religious spirit. (laughs) You're just thinking too biblically. It's the dead word. You've got to be alive with the spirit. Here, I'm trying to use their rhetoric, and it just is driving me nuts. Now, this past week, I did a, I did a YouTube um, video of a lady whose name is Kathy DeGraw. And the, if you were just to look at the video, you would think this woman is... Uh, <laughs> you sure? <laughs> but uh, Kathy DeGraw, if you just looked at her, you wouldn't think that she was very influential. But she's written over 100 articles for Charisma Magazine. And Charisma Magazine is now promoting and selling her course on something called deliverance ministry. And deliverance ministry works from the idea that Christians can be possessed by the devil. And so if you are a smoker, well, the reason why you're smoking as a Christian is because you're possessed by the, the, the demon of nicotine, of tar. I, always, I threw in there maybe zigzags, depending on what you're, what you're smoking. Oh, yeah, right. You know, so, and then name all the different chemicals, menthol or whatever. These are all demons. And she is, she's going to teach you for only $145 how to cast all those demons out of you. But the fundamental presupposition is this. It, was it Flip Wilson who said it was the devil who made me do it? Yeah, back at the church, what's happening now? Anyway, but uh, <laughs> I'm really dating myself. Wow. Sorry, sorry. I saw it on reruns. Okay. <laughs> Bite your tongue. Bite your tongue. Bite your tongue. All right. But the fundamental presupposition is is that as a Christian, if I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has canceled the effects of original sin, and I am no longer a sinner. So if I'm struggling with sins, that has to be because the devil's making me do it. Does that make sense? No. (laughs) <laughs> it's logically consistent. Yes. Yes. There we go. It's logically consistent. But the question is, is this what the scriptures teach? So I want to show you the holiness version of, this, of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So the Nazarene church still to this day teaches this. We believe that sanctification is the work of God, which transforms believers into the likeness of Christ. It is wrought by God's grace through the Holy Spirit in initial sanctification. So initial sanctification is the same as regeneration. So when you first are brought to faith in Christ, you are regenerated and you receive initial sanctification. I missed that in the original text. Okay. 
All right, so this is simultaneous then with justification. So entire sanctification, something completely different, and the continued perfecting of the work of the Holy Spirit is culminating in glorification. Glorification, we are fully conformed to the image of the Son. And they're not talking about in the future. They're talking about in this present life. So we believe that entire sanctification is that act of God that is subsequent to regeneration by which believers are made free from original sin. This is part of the Pelagian heresy, by the way. This is a major part of the Pelagian heresy. Part of the way that you could tell you were dealing with a Pelagian in the time of Augustine was you ask a Pelagian, do you pray daily the Lord's Prayer? Yes. When you pray to Jesus, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Do you have any trespasses that Jesus needs to forgive? No. Why are you praying the prayer? In order to stay humble. Right. Paradise by All right. So by the Holy Spirit, then in this entire sanctification, this 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 thing that the Holy Spirit does, you are then made free from original sin or depravity, and you are brought into a state of entire devotion to God and the holy obedience of love made perfect. It is wrought by the baptism or the infilling of the Holy Spirit and comprehends in one experience the cleansing of the heart from sin and the abiding indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, empowering the believer for life and service. Entire sanctification is provided by the blood of Jesus and it is wrought instantaneously by grace, through faith, preceded by entire consecration, and this work and state of grace the Holy Spirit bears witness to. Well, let's talk about that, because you ask a great question. The question is, what happens when you fall? So I'm going to open up my Kindle real quick, and I'm going to, I'm going to have to download a book. But uh, we're going to take a look at Wesley's book, A Plain Account of Christian Perfection. He and his brother Charles learned this doctrine from the Moravians. Uh, if you know Wesley's uh, story, what happens is, is that Wesley was sent to the Georgia colony, and things didn't go so well for him, and he had to go back. And so on one of his Atlantic crossings... Um, he, he and his brother Charles spent the entire Atlantic Passage with a bunch of Moravians. And the Moravians are the ones who taught him uh, this doctrine of sinless perfectionism. And so he then picks this up, and in this account, and I have the book in front of me now here, he describes, he defines what a Methodist is. And I want you to listen to how he defines this. And see if this makes any sense to you. A Methodist is one who loves the Lord his God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind, and with all his strength. And notice the is. Does. Presently. Now. God is the joy of his heart, the desire of his soul, which is continually crying, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth I desire besides thee. He goes on and says, Agreeable to this one desire is this one design of his life, namely to do, uh, to do not his own will, but the will of him who sent him. And he goes on to say things like, you know, um, the, 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 uh, let me just get to the punchline because I think the punchline is the best part. The, um, here it is. In conformity, therefore, both 
to the doctrine of St. John and the whole tenor of the New Testament, we fix this conclusion. A Christian is so far perfect as not to commit sin. A Christian is so far perfect as not to commit sin. Now, when I was in the Nazarene church, here's how the sermons would often go. A true Nazarene loves God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. No true Nazarene Christian would ever have a lustful thought. No true Christian would ever lie about their neighbor. No true Christian would ever play cards, drink booze, or dance, or anything like this. So I'm learning this in my teenage years. This is a bad time to be learning this. Because here's how the conclusion works. Well, if a Christian is perfect and loves God with his his whole heart, then I'm having sins, and they clearly start here and here, and they manifest in my physical life. That means I must not be a Christian. That's what that means. Because, you know, I hit puberty in the day of dolphin shorts, you know, and... The 80s were just a great time for sin for me. So every action that burbles up from within my sinful nature, they say no Christian does these things. So here's how the cycle then went. Because the Nazarenes teach that you can lose your salvation by sinning. So the only way I understood this was, well, I sinned. I must not be a Christian. So as part of the service, regularly, if not every Sunday, we had altar calls where you can come up and you can be born again. And so I would go up and I would be born again, again. But then I wouldn't even make it out of the parking lot before I sinned again. So clearly I had to come back the next week in order to go to the altar call to be born again, again, again. So it was just to pray to those that had fun Friday night. Right. But, and here's the worst part about it, um, is that as part of their preaching and teaching, you have people giving testimony, and you have people who are guest speakers and lecturers or guest pastors who are selling books, and they're all claiming they have figured out how to do this, and if you follow their methods, you too can, can have this Christian perfection. No, it doesn't. So what this does is it fractures Nazarenes kind of into three groups. you got the people who claim that they're pulling it off, the people who are honestly trying to figure out how to pull it off and aren't being successful, but they're being honest, and then you have the people who are just dog-tired, worn out, and they've given up, and they're called the backsliders. They're the carnal Christians. Yeah, I know he believes in Jesus, but he smokes. Yeah, I, I know he believes in Jesus, but I, I heard that uh, you know, he plays cards. And I, and I remember this to this day. I mean, one of my Nazarene friends invited me to his house you know, on a weekend. You know, so we weren't going to do homework. I think we were going to play ColecoVision or something. That was a thing back then. You guys heard of this? Anyway, um, so it, he says, it, he, so he reaches into his backpack, and he's pulling out a, you know, a, a Ziploc baggie. I'm thinking, uh-oh, here it comes. And he goes, hey, I, I got something. Like, what do you got? And he goes, Cards. I got a pack of cards. No. Cards, really? Yeah. 
So we did something really evil. We played a game of poker. You know, and we were going to hell, and we knew it. All right. <laughs> uh, well, man, that's right. I was going to start wearing black and everything. Yeah. But the endless parade of this, the whole assumption is, if you're earnest enough, pious enough, sincere enough, and you ask God the Holy Spirit, please give me the second blessing, then he's going to cancel original sin, and you're going to be perfect. Yeah. The sad part of the the three-tiered layer of the church you described is the ones who think they're number one on top are actually the most lost. Yeah. I think they're delusional. Because what does 1 John say? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Truth's not in us. All right, we're going to pause right there, pay some bills. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. When we come back, the balance of this lesson where we look at the, the roots of perfectionism, where does it come from, and then what does the Bible have to say about Christians still having a sinful nature? Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough. Of this sissy, pansy, turning photo written music, you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Max Holiday's Birdcage Theatre presents Church Day Select. Welcome to MacGuffins, 
what can I do for you today? Hi, uh, I was wondering what supplies you had in stock that would help me fight the paranormal. Well, uh, see, we got here. We uh, we got rock salt shotgun rounds, uh, PKE meters, EMF readers, hexes, spells, salt hula hoops, demons summoning coloring books, crucifixes, and holy water, amongst other things. Do you carry the grimoire of modern prayer? Not since it was outlawed by the Geneva Convention. Sorry. Bummer. I I noticed it looks kind of empty in here. Well, business has been booming as of late. Uh, are you going after that sneaky squid, what, what you call it? Yeah, as a matter of fact. Uh, what what would you recommend for tackling this beast? Well, none of the items here are going to work against that monstrosity. If I were you, I'd buy Los Lobos Ministries' latest invention. What's that? Well, it's right here in their summer catalog. It is a um, laser-guided... Sneaky Squid Spirit homing nuclear missile. Great, I'll take one. Uh, sorry, uh, we're, we're we're fresh out. Fresh out? Then why'd you even mention it? Well, if you want to order one right now, I could have it here for you in about eleven weeks. No, I I need something today. Well, there is one thing I can sell you. What the heck is this? Glory sprinkles. Glory sprinkles what I said. Is there an echo in here or something? No, I heard you. It just sounds more like a breakfast cereal than a paranormal weapon. They look like Lucky Charms. They're more like Fruit Loops, actually. This is really the best you got? Afraid so. How am I even supposed to use these? Well, uh, there's instructions on the bag. Use two or three handfuls to throw directly onto the sneaky squid spirit. Do not inhale or ingest. If ingestion occurs, please see your local physician for treatment immediately. See 18-year-old approved. All right. Glory sprinkles it is, then. Happy squid hunting. Will Dylan kill the sneaky squid spirit? Will Chuck Pierce be held accountable for his crimes? Learn all of this and more on the next thrilling episode of The Sneaky Squid Spirit Trilogy! people of the interwebs strongbird here with an important announcement <coughs> are your walls bland have you not felt any exhilaration since you watched the paint dry on them three years ago well you're in luck fire christian media is now sending pretty pretty pictures for you to spruce up your depressingly bland wall space wait just one moment uh oh Really? Okay. I'm sorry, folks. These are not pretty, pretty pictures. They're fine art prints, which means that you're probably going to want to hang them in an actual frame rather than on the fridge next to little Jimmy's impressionist take on motor vehicles. Uh, is that even street legal? These fine art photographs, or uh, uh, um, art f for short, will be personally signed by the captain himself with an included certificate of authenticity to boot. Mm -hmm. Now that's quality art, if I ever saw it. 
but be warned, larger prints of Pirate Christian Media's art are limited editions with only 50 of each print being made. Be sure to go to piratechristian.com, click on the Fine Art Photographs link at the top of the page, and check for prices and availability of our regularly updated photo gallery. Thank you. All right, we're back. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to believe that the Bible teaches that Christians, even though indwelled by the Holy Spirit, still have a sinful flesh to contend with, because that's what it teaches. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to into the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says uh, join our crew. The other says become a patron. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew, and your rank is based upon your monthly con- contribution and commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month, and then Quartermaster, $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. It is a fantastic way to support us, and everybody who joins our crew at Gunner's Mate and above in the month of March 2020. That's the current month that we're recording. I will send you an autographed copy of my fine art print entitled Minnesota Winter Sunset. Minnesota Winter Sunset. You can see it on our website on the Join Our Crew page. And that's my way of saying thank you for joining our crew at Gunners Made or Above and, and supporting Fighting for the Faith in what we are doing. And of course, our fine art, my fine art prints are available, you know, uh, you know, for sale. Yeah, I'm a photographer. <laughs> now I guess I can say I'm a professional photographer, but you get the idea. Uh, they're 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 up on our website. Now, uh, if you want to uh, make a one-time contribution, click on the donate button. If you want to become a patron. Via Patreon, click on the Become a Patron button. If you'd like to support us the traditional way, you can do so by making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you, thank you, thank you for your support because we truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, here's the balance of our lesson as we look at uh, the history of the concept of perfectionism uh, via pietism and its historical influence on even the modern-day charismatic and uh, holiness movements and, uh, and where this all comes from, and then looking at does the Bible teach that we still as Christians have a sinful nature. Here we go. It seems to me Satan loves to lie to us about God's promises. Yeah. Because if he can convince us that God is going to provide, has promised us something God hasn't promised, Mm -hmm. then when what God never promised us never shows up, because God never promised it in the first place, he can turn around and say, see, God's liar, better walk away. But Wesley would turn, he would turn on you pretty hard and say, 
Bruce, you just don't have enough faith in the promises of God. You are only believing in partial salvation, but Christ died for your whole person. He died not only for your physical body, but for your mind and your heart as well. So your problem is you are deficient in your faith in Christ and only believe that he has partially saved you. I believe, Lord, help thou my unbelief. <laughs> so, so then everybody in that church should be well and healthy and never have illness, never have any of those problems. Well, now, that's funny that you would say that because what happens then when normal life happens to people? All right. So normal life occurs, and you get sick, or you fall into a pretty well-known sin. Where do you go for help? You can't go to the people at church because if you did that, they're going to blame you and your lack of faith or your lack of obedience for the trouble that you find yourself in. Well, this is your fault, Marilyn. You know, and so I, I, you know, if I could look at my Nazarene friends now, I'd say, well, look at me. I'm, I'm fat and ugly. I mean, what happened? Well, it's all your fault, Rosebro. It's all your fault. You didn't have enough faith. You're not, you're not squeaky, shiny, clean, and young, and healthy, and wealthy. That's all your fault. And so what ends up happening in that environment is that everybody spends an inordinate amount of time putting paint on a self-righteous facade that is completely a sham. And so you get into the parking lot, and, you know, and people say, how you doing, brother? They say, oh, I'm the head and not the tail. I'm doing great, brother. Thanks for asking. How about you doing? I'm doing great. Praise the Lord. Liar. Okay? Because what happens is, is that they're just like me. Okay? When you put your kids in the minivan and you're going to church, okay, you're about to lose your mind. <laughs> I don't know about your guys' minivan, but my minivan, there was, a, it was I, we needed padded walls. Okay? Because things like... Mom, he's touching me. Mom, make him stand his side. And then mom gets, I told you guys to do this. And, 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 and the whole time I'm just doing this the whole way to church. And finally I say something stupid like this. Would everybody stop yelling? While I'm yelling. Right. And so what happens is, is that in those churches, that's your trip all the way to church. As soon as you get to the parking lot and the parking lot attendants is waving the thing, you know, to, to land the plane in the right parking space, you okay, everybody puts on the smile. <laughs> We're at Disneyland. And they're lying. That's not what they're feeling at all. Sorry, I'm doing therapy right now. <laughs> <sighs> But you know what I'm saying? Because that's the only place you cannot let anybody know what's really going on in your life. And when, when, you, when you go to the liquor store, you don't make eye contact because then that's kind of the agreed upon way of everybody knowing that the, you know, everybody knows the Nazarenes are going to buy alcohol. If they were here, they're at Happy Harry's twice as much as everybody else. right? But they just don't make eye contact because that way they can all just... Say it never happened. It's medicinal. It's medicinal, right? Yeah, that's right. I have a stomach ailment. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I knew somebody that drove 40 miles out of their way because they were making um, they had a bourbon chicken. They couldn't go to a local liquor store to get their bourbon. Oh, so ridiculous. Well, that means they know their bourbons. Wow, that's impressive. <laughs> <laughs> so, the best way I can put it then, 
What we see in Wesley's plain account of Christian perfection, that a Christian can achieve perfection in this lifetime, that the Holy Spirit's going to give you a second baptism or blessing or charisms that'll cancel out original sin so that you will perfectly love God so that a Methodist says, I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And again, this is a Lutheran heresy. This comes from... Sin boldly in the mole, all the more boldly believe Luther? Uh-uh. This doesn't come from Luther. This comes from Spainer. Okay. Okay. So in the wake of the Thirty Years' War, in the wake of the Thirty Years' War, where Calvinists and Lutherans all committed war crimes. I mean, it was not right to take our Calvinist brothers and baptize them until the bubble stopped. That was not good. Okay. <laughs> Sorry that you were drinking. It's your fault. <laughs> so in the wake of the Thirty Years' War, everyone was just burnt out. And they were looking for some more... They were looking for a religion that didn't have an emphasis on orthodoxy, that, could, that we can all embrace, that is based on love and piety... And it's into this vacuum that uh, you know that uh, Philip Jacob Spainer writes his book *Pia Desideria*, and he starts teaching this concept of Pietism, and it fully blooms into this religion. And the early Lutheran Pietists believed in Christian perfectionism. They did even before Zinzendorf. Zinzendorf learned it from the Halle theologians, and it, and this is this is oh. This is the, the gift that, I don't want to say we've given to the world, but let's just say that the devil brought on in full force, and it's still in the world today. It's still there. The Nazarenes are just, the, they're just downstream from the Lutheran pietists. They really are. And so the question is, how do we know as Christians that we still have a sinful nature to contend with? Mirrors, conscience... <laughs> God's word, Holy Spirit. You just don't have enough faith. You just don't have enough faith. Let's take a look at some biblical texts, shall we? (laughs) As 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 much as I am convinced, yes, it is true, Bruce. You are a sinner. Um, Amen. (laughs) We need to know what the Scripture says in this in in this regard. So we're going to first look at a text that um, I'll show you how they try to shoot it down. But it's Ecclesiastes chapter seven, verse twenty. And here's what it says. Solomon writing, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. That seems pretty clear. But you know how Wesley shot this down? Well, that was before Pentecost. That was the old covenant. Of course, nobody could be perfect before Pentecost. That's his argument. I'm way holier than David. (laughs) Uh But... Ecclesiastes does say, surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Let's take a look at another text that is like it and one that we should all be familiar with, 1 John chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 5. So this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. By the way, who is the Apostle John writing to? Pagans or Christians? Christians. All right, you'll notice that the epistles of the apostles, they're not their wives. Those are the letters they wrote. The epistles are written to Christians. So this is the message we, you've heard from us and we proclaim to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. 
If we say we have fellowship while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now, at first, this would seem like a passage that says, well, see, that means we have to be sinless. No, that's not true. Uh, this is a Hebraism that is, it has a Greek word. So the Greek word is peripateo, but your Hebrew word is, for this is going to be halach, and it, which does mean walk. But the way it's understood biblically in this Jewish way of thinking, walking is how you conduct your entire life. This is, so you, you, how you walk is how you conduct yourself. Do you con- conduct yourself in rank sin and blasphemy, or do you conduct yourself as a repentant sinner? That's kind of the idea. And so it has to do with how you conduct your life. So if we, if we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie, and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us. And I'm going to point this out. This is present active indicative. Cleanses us now, presently. It doesn't say cleansed, erist, or cleansed, perfect. It says cleanses us now, cleanses us presently, cleanses us from all unrighteousness, or cleanses us from all sin. And then we have the passage we're all familiar with. If we say we have no sin, We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. I think that's as clear as it gets. Yes, sir. I very rarely do this with Greek grammar, but present active indicative isn't just present. It's present... And ongoing. Yes. It's, it's it's the stereotypical Hindu cab driver. I'm going to be driving you, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm driving you now, and I'm still going to be driving you in five minutes. Yeah, that's so it. he's forgiving And traffic us. is bad. We're he's, going to be here for a long he's time. He's going to be forgiving us and is continuing to forgive us. Mm-hmm. Not just at this moment I'm forgiven, but I'm in this ongoing process of being forgiven, which is good because I'm in this ongoing trap of sin. Right. Okay. So, I completely agree with you. Thank you for the expanded explanation of the present, because that's correct. All right, so notice we said, so if we say we have not sin, we make God to be a liar and his word is not in us. So my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Subjunctive. But if anyone does sin, well, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not only for our sins, but for all the sins of the whole world. (laughs) I mean, that seems pretty straightforward, right? Right? So I want you to think then about this for a second. While I pull up another text, we're going to go into Galatians 5. But I want you to consider this. The words, the most important words when we have the Lord's Supper are these words. For the forgiveness of your sins. So, we have the Lord's Supper today. And you heard the verba. You heard the words of institution. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So when you came up there, I said these words to you. Take, eat, this is the body of Christ, given for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. If you think you're perfected in this life, do you need that? 
Yeah, because that sin of pride is going to really wreck you. <laughs> okay. So you're going to note the belief that you no longer have a sinful nature, that you've achieved some kind of pietistic perfection, that your affections are perfect towards God and neighbor. The, the offense of the sacraments is going to be huge. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, now it's, it's just a memorial meal. And, you know, to keep it special, let's just do it every so often, Right. But what if it actually delivers what Jesus says? What if it is a true means of grace? What if the sacraments, the word, the absolution, are the means of grace by which the Holy Spirit delivers to us the forgiveness of sins, strengthens our faith, builds our understanding of the scriptures? And it all comes from outside of us. Then you need the sacrament like all the time. And it's fascinating that historically, it's the pietists who broke with the hundreds, more than a thousand years, 15, 16, 1700 years of Christian history where you had the Lord's Supper every single service. These guys come along, believe that they're, they're perfect in their love for God and, the, and their love for others. And they, they, they go from having it every other week to have barely having it at all. And even worse... They refused to have it with anybody they deemed to be a sinner. Oh, yes. Oh, it, it's, a, it, it's, it's even a reaction to, to some of the faults within the Lutheran church. All right? But the, the thing is, is that the opposite error of an error is still an error. And liberalism. And liberalism. You don't see Nazarene churches putting that Nazarene word out there mm-hmm. very seldom. And secondly, I know from a reliable source with, who's been in the Nazarene church for many years that the seminary, the seminary level, uh, he's frustrated because they're no longer voting for six day duration of Pasadena Nazarene is currently pastored by a woman. And I, I'll say this, if, if all you're getting is la, 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 a true Christian does this and doesn't do this, well, that means I'm not a true Christian. At some point, you're going to break. You're going to break. You're going to become delusional and think that you're pulling it off. Or you're going to despair and think that you're not pulling it off. Or you're just going to become really angry and say, I'm going to destroy this whole thing. And what we're going to replace it with is some ooey-gooey concept of love that's based on liberal thought which is a false gospel, but i tell you this, that's more, liberalism is more sane than, than holiness. It's more sane. It's still crazy, though. You see what I'm saying? Because i tell you this, having gone through this, lived this, atheism at some point was beginning to make sense for me. Very close to making sense to me. And it's only by the grace of God I did not end it. Now, my, my wife and I, Barbara and I, so this is what we went through in high school. And we, after high school, said to each other, you know, we're just not serious enough about our Christian walk because we're not obedient enough. So you know what made sense to us? We went full-blown charismatic. It just so happens we got involved in what's called the latter rain, which is a cult. 
But that, that step made sense to us because if we could just get the Holy Spirit to supercharge our sanctification, then we wouldn't sin anymore. And that didn't work either. None of it works. This is not how you rein in your sinful nature. This, these are all false promises, false hopes. So how then as Christians do we deal with sin? Let's keep looking back at our text. Galatians 5. I want you to consider the assumptions of what Paul is saying. And he's still writing to Christians, although you know he's concerned about those who've fallen into the, the Judaizing heresy. Galatians 5.13, Paul says, You were called to freedom, brothers. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. I would say Galatians 5.13 is a pinnacle text in this debate. Why? Because here he's talking about those who've been set free from bondage to sin, death, and the devil. Baptismally, this is a reality of Christians. And Paul does not say, and so then pray to the Holy Spirit and he'll cancel original sin. What does he say? He says, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for what? Sinful flesh. Does Paul still believe that Christians have a sinful nature? If I can use my freedom as an opportunity for the sinful flesh, that means I still got one of those. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed. So walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And I'm going to point this out to you because I think it's worth noting. that In the book of Galatians, as well as other places, when Paul uses the phrase, um, by the Spirit, that is a synonym, a, syn- a synonymous concept to the same phrase, by faith. I'll show it to you in Galatians 3 so you can see how it works. Galatians 3, Paul says, O foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So note the phrase, by hearing with faith. Are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit? So note, by hearing with faith, By the Spirit. These are synonymous concepts in the book of Galatians. So back here in Galatians 5, I say walk by the Spirit. You you could literally say walk by faith. Faith in what? Faith that the Holy Spirit indwells you and that he will give you the power to do something very important. That is mortify your sinful flesh. So walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He's saying this to Christians. Walk by the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of what? Your sinful flesh. Do I have one of them or not? Is Paul a holiness preacher? Does Paul teach Wesley's doctrine of second blessing holiness and Christian perfection? Not even close. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. This is called the normal Christian life. Have you ever noticed that you have a desire to do good, to obey God, and that your sinful carcass goes, I just want to lie on the couch and watch Netflix all day? Or is that just me? Is it? 
that's a great double entendre, though, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Yeah. You know, the evil I want to do, the Holy Spirit's like, <laughs> and then the good that I want to do, my sinful nature's like, yeah. trip. Yeah. And there, there's a wonderful book on Romans 7, we'll get to Romans 7 in a minute, called The Eye in the Storm, E-Y-E, The Eye in the Storm. Uh, no, I, I, the letter I, sorry, I, the letter I in the storm. And the I in the storm is, when you look at Romans 7, who is the I that Paul's talking about? The things I want to do, I don't do. He's speaking from his regenerate ego, his regenerate I. See, we are all new creations in Christ. Everybody who is a Christian, Christ has raised you from the dead. You are a new creation in Christ. You have a regenerate person that is there. And you know what your regenerate person only wants to do? Only wants to do good. But you have your sinful flesh. So you're going to note here, watch, you can even see it in this grammar here, okay, that the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Notice where the I is, or where the you is. It's on the regenerate person that you are in Christ. Your sinful flesh wants to keep you from doing what you want to do. And if you're not sure what the sins of the flesh are, he'll go on to explain. So if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Let me list these out for you. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. In the charismatic NAR movement, if you are dealing with dissensions, divisions, fits of anger, or sorcery, or idolatry, or sensuality, or sexual immorality, there's a demon that has to be cast out of you, and they're all named after these things. But according to the Apostle Paul, where did all that stuff burble up from? You, your sinful flesh. So I warn you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now let's look at the cross-reference to this Romans 7. And I will note this, that in the Nazarene church, their official interpretation of Romans 7 is that Paul in this section is not talking about the present reality of being a Christian, but is describing what he was like before he made a decision to become a Christian. That worked except for every verb in the passage. Uh-huh, I know. The, the, all, the, all the present tense verbs work against this. So Paul talking about the law. It's good, it's holy, but he's not. So did that which is good then bring death to me? No, by no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual. I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want. Present tense. I, it's not, he doesn't, isn't, he's not saying, I, I used to do what I don't want to do. He's saying, I currently do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. It is no longer I who do it, but it's sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do is right, but not the ability to carry it out. I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. 
Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. Does this sound familiar to any of you guys? Or, I mean, the Christian life feels like being at complete war within yourself. On the one hand, you really desire to do what's right. On the other hand, your sinful flesh don't want to have anything to do with that and is fighting you to go the opposite direction. And so the, the normal Christian life internally feels like this day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute. It's just this constant thing. Why? Because you still have a sinful flesh. And it is corrupted by the condition of sin. Now, if I do not do what I, what, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it. It's sin that dwells in me. So I find this to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. And by the way, do pagans delight in the law of God in their inner being? No, they are at war with God. They cannot obey God's commands, nor do they desire to do so. The Scripture is very clear on this. So I find it to be a law. When I want to do right, evil is close at hand. I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members presently. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. But there is there now, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. More texts. Colossians 3. See anything about casting demons out of Christians? No. Anything about a second blessing of the Holy Spirit that will cancel original sin and the sins of the flesh? No. What do we do then with our sin? Confess it, be forgiven, receive the means of grace by which God the Holy Spirit produces in us the, the, spirit, you know, the fruit of the Spirit. Paul then says to, in Colossians, after the beautiful chapter 2, which so explicitly lays out we are saved by grace through faith apart from works. So if then you have been raised with Christ, have you been? Yeah? All right, so then do this. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For if you have died, uh, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. So put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Paul, who he's who's he writing to again? Christians. Put to death what is earthly in you. Do I have anything earthly in me? If the Holy Spirit's canceled out original sin. No. And here's, what, here's what's earthly. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And in these you two once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and put on the new, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Does this text assume you still have a sinful nature? Yep. Are there any texts that would lead somebody to believe, as a Christian, you can grow out of this state, or that God the Holy Spirit would lead you to a blissful state where that doesn't describe you? 
how then do we differentiate the Galatians 5? Whoever does this is, you know, it, the, whoever does this has got nothing but wrath waiting for them. Mm-hmm. With the idea that we're, until we're made perfect in heaven, we're constantly doing these things even though we don't want to. Right. So coming then to Jesus' prayer that we pray daily. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So the idea then is that the Christian walk is a daily return to your baptism. This is how Luther would describe it. And a daily repentance, receiving the forgiveness of sins, trusting in Christ, calling upon God the Holy Spirit to help us so that we do not sin, and consistently asking Christ for forgiveness where we have fallen short. Uh, the, the, the LCMS uh, theologian uh, Francis Pieper in his dogmatics basically describes it in this way. We awake at the beginning of the day with the wholehearted intention of not sinning. And at the end of the day, pray, forgive us our trespasses. So there's a, there's a salutary sense in which the putting off of the old self, recognizing that these desires that come up from within me are truly sinful and damnable, and that I'm still going to struggle with them. And so it's the daily, it's daily repentance. Repentance is not a flu shot. It is, it is a daily grind of saying, Lord, I've sinned, I've fallen, please have mercy on me, forgive me, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me, but instead restore to me the joy of your salvation. It's, it's, you don't move beyond that until you have been freed from your sinful flesh, which is not in this lifetime. Not in this lifetime. So there's just, the way I look at it, there's, there's, no, there's no magic pill to take. There is no, no experience that you can hope for that will relieve you of this daily repentance. There is nothing. And anybody who's selling you a doctrine like this is just selling you magic beans. And they will not grow, and you will not go up to the giant and take his harp. It's just not going to work that way. Those beans will not germinate. They will not grow. You've just wasted your money. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, by carious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>